3: Taking it to a do it
1: yourself level. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Beyond Zero show. We're coming to you from the studios of 3CR Melbourne. We're syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network and also podcasts on the internet at 3cr.org.au. Both the BZE Community Show and our show are also available on iTunes and Stitcher. So please subscribe and rate us so that helps others find these shows. My name is Kay Winingle and today I'm joined by my co-host Natalie Bucknell. Hello Kay. And Michael Steidle.
3: Hi guys, hi everyone out there.
1: We all know how well South Australia is going in terms of renewable energy and it is one of the sunniest places in the world. In fact, South Australia is likely to reach 80% renewables by 2022 and 100% renewables by 2025. That at least, is the assessment of AEMO, the Australian Energy Market Operator. Today we have Valdis Junis, who is involved with a number of renewable initiatives in South Australia, ranging from large commercial solar installations to formulary car racing, to explain how, who and what is contributing to the South Australian success. Hi Valdis, thanks for joining us.
0: Hello, and Hello, everyone.
1: Good to have you with us. Now, Valdis, firstly, tell us how you became involved in this field of renewable energy.
0: It was basically uh, for two reasons. Uh, My background's in electronics and high tech, and I was doing semiconductors and chips for mobile phones and toys. Uh, But that was getting boring, you know, like computers didn't really change much and didn't really feel like you're adding much to society. And then uh, clean energy came along and uh, solar panels, which is also silicon. And I thought this is much more fun and actually much more worthwhile. So, about 10 years ago, I switched over from semiconductors to bigger pieces of silicon, namely solar panels.
1: Ah, now your endeavours include so many things the solar project, smart energy council, solar citizens, formulae racing, probably other things that I don't know about. <laughs> <laughs> so, let's start with the solar project. Can you tell us about that business? And, and I believe it has a five-step solution plan.
0: That's right. So uh, the solar project is uh, based here in Adelaide and it's about a 10-year-old company. So it's spun out of uh, one of the very first solar companies that became big in Australia. It was a company called Solar Shop and uh, they set up a commercial division and from that commercial division, two of the people uh, went across and started up the solar project. And at the moment, we're focusing just on commercial projects, and that is uh, in the solar space and also the uh, emerging uh, storage space, battery and different types of storage like that.
2: So whereabouts do you mostly operate, Valdis? Uh
0: We originally uh, we're trying to do all of Australia, but uh, the market is so big we've actually focused pretty much on the South Australian market, which is, as you talked about, uh, doing pretty well at the moment.
2: And so how long exactly has the solar project been operating in that space?
0: Uh, exactly. I think we're about eight years old. Uh, so, uh, but the people, uh, the two founders, myself, you know we've all been in industry for over a decade.
2: Okay. And can you give us a bit of an idea of some of the projects that the solar project's been involved in?
0: Yes. Yeah, so uh, up until about two years ago, we were focusing just on solar panels. So uh, the first one that got us really on the map and uh, going was uh, our local Adelaide showgrounds. And the government here, being innovative like it often is as a city of first, they decided we have to set an example. So they uh, set the target of putting one megawatt of solar panels across five buildings on the showgrounds. And that was a record that was held for about six, seven years as the biggest in Australia. And we've been doing similar projects. So we do uh, solar systems on top of warehouses on top of uh, factories, and unsurprisingly for South Australia, we have a lot of business with the wineries who want to not just uh, cut their costs but also be seen as clean and green for their customers.
1: I did notice that.
0: Yeah, and you get a little bit of benefits. You get a a sample bottle of two after each (laughs) (laughs) project. That's an extra extra bonus.
2: And uh, with the example of the showground, who Mm. is the main – like, is the showground self consume all of that one megawatt, or who's their customer?
0: Well, uh, showgrounds a bit unusual because it only really goes into action for a few weeks yeah. every year. So <laughs> for much of the year, it does get exported. So it helps helps the grid uh, uh, supply power and makes it cleaner and greener. But uh, during showtime, of course, uh, electricity consumption is much higher and then it all gets absorbed uh, into the buildings themselves.
2: Okay. And just tracking back to that five-step solution, what are mm. the main the key elements of that?
0: Well, key element is to do it carefully and so uh, a lot of uh, you might have heard especially in the residential space you have a lot of cowboys you know some electricians say, oh, I can do solar and you do a lot of shortcuts so when you get to especially bigger systems like we do in the megawatt range you really have to get it, the details worked out right so we have a step-by-step process of analyzing the building the roof structure looking at the electricity bills looking at where they're planning to add more equipment and power consumption and then you do a system that really matches their needs In the old days, uh, you almost got nothing when you exported excess solar power. So uh, earlier, people just created a system to just match their load at the site. But in the last year or two, uh, the rules have been changed. And you actually can make good money also using excess roof space and exporting. And you end up turning electricity from being a burden a cost into an extra source of income and profit.
3: Veldes Michael here, you lead me nicely into the next question. Um, oh, and you just mentioned residential systems. The, mm. the typical payback period for residential systems is assumed to be five to seven years. What's, mm. the, what's the payback period for these large-scale solar installations?
0: Typically, it's about three to seven years. Uh, some systems here can get as short as three years for the payback period. So That's it's, brilliant. as they say, a no-brainer. mm
1: um, Dylan Macdonald from the Climate and Energy Council, and listeners may remember he's been on previous shows, put together information of reducing solar power in um, South Australia, both on the rooftop level but also in large-scale solar. And he showed really big jumps in large-scale solar, particularly from 2025 to, and again in 2033. So there are amazing predictions for South Australia and it must <clears> make <throat> solar projects of people very happy.
0: Uh, the short answer is yes. Uh, the longer answer for all of us uh, in the solar industry is that uh, when you go from uh, rooftop systems, which are in you know 30 kilowatts, 100 kilowatts, sometimes one megawatt, when you go into solar farms, all of a sudden you're like almost an order of magnitude bigger. So people talk about 10 megawatts, 30 megawatts. 100 megawatts, and like the largest one that's being built at the moment in Australia is here in South Australia, just north of Port Augusta, Bangara, and that's like 275 kilowatts. And when you get to that size, Me- Megawatts. Megawatt, megawatt. Yeah, yeah megawatt. <laughs> uh, You really have to get all the details sorted out because there have been uh, sadly some uh, very public cases of really old companies like RCR that went belly up by making mistakes when they jumped into the solar industry. So with these really big systems, you really have to get your financing lined up, you have to get your technical details really sorted out. So they're exciting, but they're also quite uh, quite scary because it's you don't really have room for error. Hmm.
3: And that includes issues of um, com- connection to the grid, transmission infrastructure. That's a yes. major one, isn't
0: it? Yes, and uh, it's also ending up now to be the major portion of the time taken to build it. So physically to build solar systems, it's... Uh, it can be done in months even for the larger systems if you have the staff. But what's becoming increasingly complex and AEMO and the local operators mm-hmm. like SA Power Networks and Electronet, they're spending a lot of time to make sure that when you add on a new system, you don't overwhelm it uh, and you don't make mistakes when you install it. So in the old days, if you got a 10 kilowatt system on your home and you know, the Sparky made a mistake and shorted it out, you know the grid will survive, but if you've got some of these big systems and you've got a technical error, it, it it can really hurt the grid. So often now the uh, approvals uh, from council from the grid operators can be half the time, at least if not three quarters of the time.
1: Well, I know EMO has been screaming for some sort of plan to be put together to make sure that the grid is stable because these distributed mm. systems, as you say, are enormous and um, and need to be planned properly.
0: No, I totally agree. I. I uh, wouldn't want to be in an AEMO person at the moment because uh, there are so many projects coming down the pipeline. Uh, Winds, so they all have different characteristics. Mm-hmm. People are putting in battery systems now, so uh, and then you have to forecast it. You know, you give an approval. You can't say, "Oh, well, we we made a mistake. We have to reverse our approval." You know, they have to get it right first time. So I definitely don't envy their job.
3: No. But th- these delays can be very costly, can't they? Um, waiting uh, yes, for approval yes. for network connectivity and so on.
0: Yeah, yeah, people have uh, been waiting months, you know, half a year to get the approvals. They jumped in, borrowed the money and uh, thought, "Oh, it'll be done by the time we finish it." And they have to wait half a year and and that can be very costly for uh, some companies to the point where they go bankrupt.
2: So what how about, you know, other factors affecting, you know, Predictions around installations um, with the current federal liberal government. The rets fin- due to finish next year. What impact do you think yeah. that will have on the industry?
0: Well, at the moment, most of the projects, uh, the large scale commercial projects we're involved with, we're forecasting in our financial models that all of those uh, benefits, uh, large scale certificates, LGCs, and things like that, go down to zero. Um, so that's that's what we're forecasting, and. Uh, it still stacks up. So a lot of the big solar projects, at least around the world, are what they call subsidy-free. So they, they can't stand up on their own without any incentive support from local governments. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're assuming uh, in our financials that
3: that's a really no
0: support from government.
3: That's a really important statement you just made, that even without any subsidies, any LGCs, the projects still stack up. That's against new... Um, uh, fossil fuel stations or also against existing fossil fuel stations that are already fully depreciated? Uh,
0: definitely it's more attractive against new ones. Uh, existing ones, yeah, you hear quite often that, uh, you know, it just uh, doesn't stack up. So a lot of the issue with the fossil fuel stations is uh, uh, the ones that have to run steady, uh, like coal, uh, with intermittent coming in more and more uh, they can only have a profitable life for maybe a few months a year during the heat of summer. To, uh, so that hurts the stable ones. And even the, the fast-moving ones like gas turbines, they're seeing their opportunities get smaller and smaller. So mm-hmm. um, you do read about even the existing uh, uh, fossil fuel generators finding it hard to make a profit.
1: Mm, you do. I think the government hasn't read it yet, though.
0: No, no, <laughs> yeah. they're, uh, they're, they're quite loyal to uh, their fossil fuels, aren't they? <laughs>
1: Well, South Australia doesn't have feeding tariffs, so, and if the RET disappears, um, do you think that household solar, rooftop solar, will be affected?
0: You you wonder how far can it go because we're pretty much over a third of rooftops already have solar today here in South Australia, so uh, we're up there with yeah. the best in the world. Um, but but. You always seem to have more people putting on solar. And uh, if you go out to the newer suburbs in Adelaide in the north and south, pretty much it seems like every second roof has got solar on it, even when they're being built. So I think it's going to become a norm, uh, like, you know, your uh well, if it's a feedback, your hot water system.
1: If you've got a, a payback of um, three years, it's mm-hmm. a no-brainer, isn't
0: it? Yes, and some of the uh, property developers now are. Uh, for residential saying hey you know this is part of the package uh, we'll put the solar on as well so um, yeah you wonder how high can it get to because you know some places do have trees and all of that mm. stuff um, but it's 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 you can't see a immediate uh, flattening out at this stage
3: so okay that's one restricting factor but the another major one of course is rental properties mm-hmm. what facilities or 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 um schemes are there for people in rental properties to participate, say, in a remote solar
0: farm? Yeah, so uh, for residential, yeah, that's one of the options where the council or some other organisation builds a solar farm somewhere on empty land or on a big empty roof and then the electricity virtually is taken by uh, renters. In the commercial space that we're in, uh, governments and councils are setting up something they call BUF, B-U-F, and that's Building Upgrade Finance. And that is using council rates to share the benefits of putting on, say, solar uh, between the landlord and the tenant. So the tenant gets the benefits mm. of uh, lower uh, electricity. The landlord gets the benefit of having a better neighbor 's rating. Well, um, is it just so happening in South
1: Australia or elsewhere? It's in it?
0: three states. So uh, uh, it's in New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Here it came in about a year ago, so it's still fairly new. Um, But that makes a big difference because you always had that issue of uh, cheap electricity is for the tenants, but the actual structure has to be put on the landlord's property.
2: So, Valdis, South Australia has done so well and is doing so well. What do you think has been the key to this transition for South
0: Australia? I think it's... uh two things uh one is you know we're a smaller state and so you know it's like that old commercial we have to try harder to <laughs> to get attention so you know historically south australia from very first settlement to now we are a city of first you know where it's giving votes to women and and all of the other rights and same we we just jumped into renewables earlier i think because we're a smaller society uh we have less inertia um and i think we're just a more progressive state mm-hmm. um i would Absolutely. put that yeah Put down to those two reasons. We're hungrier and uh, and Mm -hmm. we just seem to be more progressive.
1: If you've just tuned in, we're talking to Valdis Junis from Adelaide, who is involved with a number of exciting renewable energy ventures. Now, um, Valdis, I noticed on your website that you talk about solar trees. Mm -hmm. What is a solar tree?
0: Yes, that was uh, a bit of a play of words. So what's happening... Uh, increasingly is people are using their car park areas to generate solar power so they put on a cover over the top of the cars and uh, put the panels on top of that but the choice of words is important so if you call it a carport or something mm-hmm. like that then you have all these extra requirements about putting in like a ceiling putting in gutters and things like that and you don't need that for solar panels so working with council we said well why don't we just uh, avoid that issue and just not call it uh-huh. a, a carport? Or and canopy. so one of the first systems we built uh, it's actually is one central post and then the panels sort of flare out from the central post. It's, like it's sort of like a tree. And so we, him, with council, yeah. we just called them solar trees and it's stuck. And <laughs> the council was happy because uh, uh, oh. they don't have to worry about all those extra approvals that you need for a normal carport.
1: I need one of those in my backyard. Hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: They look pretty. So the one we did first was uh, for our local entrepreneur, Simon Hackett, and he's the one that always brings in the first Tesla of every model, and he's uh, backed a uh, battery storage company using Flow Energy, and uh, he just likes beautiful things too. So it's actually seed aligned, and it's beautiful. So it's not just practical.
1: (laughs) Another um, really amazing thing that's happening in South Australia, of course, is the, the developments around Wyala. Or Port Mm. Augusta as well Yeah And of course the BZE report on Repairing Port Augusta is Going ahead at the moment isn't it
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, actually it's interesting After I attended the BZE uh, Event uh, earlier this week I went out to a uh a factory up in Abrosa Valley, which is making uh, aluminium extrusions, uh, you know, for window frames and things like that. And I was about to say, hey, I read the BZE report that said you switch, should switch over to induction to heat your aluminium instead of melting mm. uh, it in a crucible. He oh, we've been doing that for a couple of years already. So it's like, ah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so even in aluminium uh, extrusions, we seem to be ahead of the you pack.
1: You are progressive,
0: yeah. Yeah. So I didn't know that until Monday that he even had that technology.
1: And talking about being progressive, what about Formula E racing? Tell yeah, us about that. We
0: oh yeah. oh yeah, just got hasn't... an article Go in the ABC this morning. So if you get to the ABC oh, website, really? we got covered this morning. Uh, so it's something a group of us uh, uh, have been working on for a few years, and that is is a new type of car racing similar to Formula One. It's FIA, it's international with cities around the world, but it's all electric. And so the idea is it's... Uh, it's, it's The cars are as fast as Teslas, so they often overtake any petrol car. <laughs> uh, and it's got a lot of high-tech in there, like working out how to interact with the fans. They have fan boost and things like that to give one particular driver a, an extra advantage. And it's, it's uh, all electric. It's clean, quieter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we're working to bring it to Adelaide. Uh, as oh, that's the fantastic as the first city in Australia.
1: Although, I mean, Adelaide did have Formula 1 racing earlier before mm. Victoria pinched it from them.
0: Yeah.
1: But mm. the, the, the noise is associated with Formula racing, isn't it? Whether it's E or yeah. 1. How will you get around that?
0: <laughs> well, we don't. So uh, what's interesting is if you look at the statistics of the different types of racing, Formula 1, of course, has its really passionate fan base, but the average age for them now is 40. Uh, and if you look at the statistics for Formula E, which is... Only five years old, but it's sort of growing quite fast. So we're quite close to Formula One at the moment, with about 300 viewers last year. But their demographics is that the average age is 13 to 23. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, it's about two decades earlier. And if you, you know, if you look at the younger people, you know, they, they don't have the passion of petrol like us older ones did, mm. and and tinkering. So they just like new technology, and you know, all the smarts that you can do with electric cars is. Uh, is fun so what we're also working on is not just the race itself over a couple of days but we're looking to do like we did with formula one in adelaide is have a whole week of events that build up to it so we're working to do the sort of conferences and displays of not just electric vehicles but electric scooters electric trucks electric planes and all of that and then do all the uh, associated discussions you know autonomous vehicles and all of that good kind of stuff so we're looking at it as, as a whole week of events and mm. You have the technology, you have the races and, you know, people just love all of this new electric stuff.
1: I know, because um, just reminding our listeners that there are going to be exactly that range of vehicles, autonomous vehicles, so um, trucks, cars. Yes.
0: And skateboards it changes almost every month and, and
1: That's right, there's mm-hmm. all these new ones, tuk-tuks Everything's yeah, yeah, planes We don't have a plane, but there are electric planes around And, and maybe yes. Formula E next year Maybe <laughs> Formula E next year be uh,
3: I do cool. like yeah, the marketing well. for the Formula E Veldas. you say the Energy, Environment and Entertainment The three E's, mm. uh, emphasising yeah, all the core values
2: right. So yes. where, where did it originate, Veldis? Uh Well, I'm actually uh, about as Aussie as
0: you can get, I'm a crocodile Dundee type, so I was born in Darwin uh, but I spent most of my life actually out of Australia uh, in Silicon Valley and, and Hong Kong. So I only came back to Australia about five, six years ago back home. So oh, I did, and so did you bring
2: d- bring the Formula E idea with you from overseas? Where?
0: More or less, yeah, because Hong Kong uh, is now going to do it for its third year. And it's like, oh, that's interesting, you know. And uh, so it's like, why can't we do it? Because, you know, we... Adelaide is a car crazy city and you know, we love our old cars, new cars, love car racing. So if they can do it, why can't we? And one thing we're working on, too, is different from a lot of other car racing like Formula One. We need huge amounts of government money. Uh, Formula E is so attractive to a lot of industries that uh, in Hong Kong and a lot of other cities around the world, it's privately backed. So all government needs to do is just uh, do the policing and road traffic management. So we're looking at the same model with uh, some big backers. So if you look at the media, our most famous backer of uh, bringing Formula E-Tradite is, is Mr. and Mr. Sanjeev Gupta. Oh,
1: no, we 're going to talk about mm-hmm. him next. Well, that's, yes, mm.
3: just continuing on this um, EV theme and broadening mm. it from the racing uh, South Australia gives the impression of, of leading Australia in the EV transition, um, design and manufacturing components, autonomous shuttles in, in Adelaide. Mm-hmm. Tell us what's yeah. happening there briefly.
0: Well, yeah, you could say South Australia is leading, but to be honest, all of Australia is really Retarded. quite a laggard. Well, there's not much to Yeah, mind. yeah, the rest of the world. <laughs> so We're it, very it, backward on it, it, aren't we? Yeah, you don't need a lot to be leading in Australia <laughs> at the moment. But, yeah, Mr Gupta, uh, bringing him up again here, yeah, he specifically wants to use our car infrastructure here, the factories, the engineers, the workers, to start manufacturing electric vehicles mm. here. We do have a company, ZF, that's making electric buses. Uh, so it is starting, uh, but, uh, but I, you know we might be a first in Australia, but it's a long way to go. So the idea is to just bring the awareness up with Formula E because uh, it's, it's showing that, hey, you know they're not just uh, granny's little uh, uh, you know, mob- mobility scooter. It's a lot more than that nowadays.
1: So you do have autonomous shuttles, do you, in Adelaide?
0: Yes, yeah, we do have three of them. Uh, so uh, they have been on the road for, I think, almost a year now. So one is uh, next to the beach in Glenelg, uh, shuttling people along the main street and along the beachfront. Another one is in our Tonsley high-tech uh, precinct in the south where it's taking people between a... The train station and the main building, so that trundles up and down, and there's one up in the north as well with another university.
3: Elders, well, you just mentioned awareness, um, mm. and that brings us back to some of your other activities. Um, you're involved in a couple of business and consumer bodies that we'd love to hear about. Mm. Tell us about the, the Smart Energy Council and the Solar oh, Citizens.
0: Yeah, well, that was, uh, it's, it's not that active now, but, uh, you know, when you went back about three, four years when I came back, that was. In the midst of Tony Abbott being at his peak as the Prime Minister, and the the wars between coal and renewables, you know that was that was the fiercest and ugliest. And when I came back to Australia, all the solar people themselves were like, just they had to batten down the hatches mm-hmm. just to get through the get through the barrage of you know changes and trying to kill a clean energy finance corporation, trying to kill a ret. So it's like I had time on my hands coming back. I'm semi-retired. It's like we have to have to. Have to stand up to this uh, assault mm-hmm. on clean energy. So, yeah, I got quite active in a lot of the uh, community groups and business groups, meeting the politicians and doing the classic stuff, you know, in front of Parliament House and all of that. And, uh, and the good thing is that, you know, when you do poll after poll, whether it's residents or businesses, mm-hmm. you know, 70, 80% say, hey, we have to move over to renewables. So you knew the society was behind you, but you still needed noisy people to, to help out the industry. So I quite enjoyed that. And you won. Yeah. <laughs> every time he won. So it's like, oh, this is good.
2: So what, what are Solar Citizens up to at the moment?
0: Uh, it's the same thing, focusing on uh, deals for uh, for uh, uh, mostly residential solar people. So what was mentioned before is doing better deals for renters, uh, trying to get those targets up. So, you know, like New South Wales with a new 50% target from the Labor Party. So they're doing what they've done for quite a while now, and well, is is, pushing for new targets and trying to get the uh, penetration of solar up across Australia, focusing on the residential market.
1: We've only got one minute left, unfortunately, Ah, uh, with all this exciting talk. I understand, Valdis, you're off to Hong Kong next week for a bit of a mission.
0: That's right. So um, uh, off on Wednesday with a group of us from across Australia um, and uh, the Formula E races for uh, coming up next, are in Hong Kong, uh, not this weekend, next weekend. So meeting up with all the bigwigs from Bongluri e in uh, London, who'll be down, and and a group of us. So we're going to be pitching away again to try to lock in us to host it, uh, ideally for June to August next year. And if we're lucky, it will be the the final race of each season, and that'll be even more fun than a regular race.
1: Sounds exciting. Thank, it is. Thank you so much for your time today. Um, Valdis, listeners can find out more about googling the project or Solar Citizens, and um, and find out what's going on. We've been speaking to Valdis Tunis from Adelaide, who is involved in a number of renewable energy ventures, as we've just discovered. The Beyond Zero Show is brought to you by the Climate Change Solutions Think Tank Beyond Zero Emissions, and is recorded in the studios of 3CR Melbourne and syndicated around Australia on the Community Radio Network. Previous episodes of this show are available on iTunes and Stitcher, so please subscribe and let others find the show. If you enjoy the program and can donate to help cover airtime costs, please go to the BZE website and click on the Donate button. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to you joining us again next week.
2: Beyond Zero Emissions is an internationally recognised climate solutions think tank that is focused on solutions, not problems. Become part of the solution by becoming a monthly base load supporter. Go to www.bze.org.au to find out more. bze.org.au You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.